great to be here with you this morning and uh, great to be worshiping with you. We're getting close to a spring feel out there, right? Pretty nice with that and uh, love the moment of change out there, at least for the moment, right, as we get that. And uh, hey, we're, we're walking through a series here in the book of James and it's called Summit Walk. And we're talking about what it means on a daily basis to have a practical experience with our God and really to be able to dig deep into what it means to experience our God living and transforming us moment by moment, to express our love for him and to experience him in our lives. That's what we're looking at. And all these different details James walks through, he's giving us uh, different challenges, different hopes, different perspectives along the way that we might be able to experience our living God moment by moment. And uh, these challenges are very practical. These challenges help us to walk around the potholes of life rather than right through them, right? To be able to avoid some of the struggles that we experience in this broken world. And, and so do me a favor, turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 4, starting in verse 1. James 4, starting in verse 1. We're going to talk about how to avoid the pothole of selfish desires, how to avoid the pothole of selfish desires, how to be able to move around that thing that is so banging inside of us and tends to get us into trouble along each day as we interact with people, all right? First step, first point, stop fighting in the flesh, knowing that selfish wants are destructive. Stop fighting in the flesh, knowing that selfish wants are destructive. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? I'll just hold there for a second. So if you remember where we were in James 3, right? James 3, the beginning was, watch your tongue. It goes unglued and it brings a lot of trouble with it, right? It is, in fact, set on fire of the course of hell, he said. And then the last half of James 3 he says, hey, let, let's talk about what it means to walk wisely, to be careful with what we're thinking, to be careful with what we're asserting. Don't make it all about selfish ambition. So he talks about the tongue, then he talks about selfish ambition, and now he jumps into fighting and quarreling. It kind of fits, right? Like if I'm not watching my mouth, and if I'm all about selfish ambition, the next thing that comes is battling with other people and He's like, hey, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Just so you know, in the original language, the word quarrel is really wars or contentions. It's a big word. What causes wars among you? That's the word quarrel there. And then he has the word fight, which is actually a word that speaks to how words are used. It's actually a word that we use in the English, or some do, um, not so much me on a regular basis, but the word is polemical. It means harsh, critical words and word choice. That's the original language word. It means to come at somebody with harsh words. Now the reality, the quarrel and fight, like in our English language, the word quarrel is kind of a down here kind of word, right? If I had a quarrel, it just means there was a moment, a little bickering, went back and forth, you know, a little bit of a eh right? And then that's done, right? And a fight, like that's like, bring it, man, 
right? That's kind of our English words. Just so you know, in the original language, it's the opposite. And this word for quarrel here, it means huge, massive war. Like the regularity of walking in the room and going, I can't believe they did that again. And then there's the attacking and the bringing and the, I want this from the, and the, the war is the ongoing battle. And then the fight is the words that you choose in the moment to bring a stinger at them, right? This harsh, critical words. He's like, what causes wars? What causes us to use harsh words? And then he gives an answer. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, that your passions are at war within you. That word passions there, it actually is the word that we get the word hedonism from. Like it's all about selfish feel good. The desires well up within and you're just like, this would feel best for me. Passions. I, I long to have this and they're at war within you. They're raging and they're pressing along the way. In fact, you could picture it a lot like the analogy we've talked about before, right? You talk about what's inside of us. You have this sea of selfishness, right? What Scripture calls the flesh, not this flesh, right? But it's actually this sea of me. I got to have what I want, this sea of me inside. And there's a boat floating on top of that that's the mind and the spirit and the, the heart. The boat is floating on top. It's got the Holy Spirit resident in. That's really what we look like inside, if you will. There's a boat of our heart and mind and spirit, Holy Spirit, flesh inside of that. The flesh is raging and pressing. And it literally says that this flesh pressing on actually ends up at times splashing over the top and coming in and your desires take over, right? This flesh is the, I want it for me. This is what I want this massive hedonistic demand. And at times, whether the boat is getting dipped down or the waves, the waves of the sea are getting high, one way or another, they're coming into the boat. And as they splash inside, that's when we choose to sin. That's when we choose to use the rough words. That's when we choose to go to war. That's when we choose to just go take what we want. That's when we choose to do what's wrong is when the sea of selfishness floods in. He's like, let's be honest, isn't it really just the sea of selfishness banging hard against the boat? And at times you just let it win. And uh, He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You desire and don't have. Like one of the big problems is your desire welling up and you don't have. The reality is most of our battles in this world are that we long to have something, but we're not getting it. It's all about satisfaction. Like I long to want that and have it, but I'm not getting it. Whether it's somebody behaving a certain way or it's a possession you want to have, the reality is we long to have and we're not getting it. And so we get dissatisfied and so we go after it. It says here, so you murder. Well, that's a big word, right? And uh, like this literally means we're willing to even at times take a life to get what we want. Now Christ talked a lot about it. it's not just about the outward action, but it's also about what goes on inside the heart. And he's like, I'm just telling you to hate is as bad as murder. And the reality is, he's like one way or another, whether this is just the welling up inside and that the metaphor of I am hating so bad I want to go after it, whatever it is, 
it gets pretty rough. And we're like, I'm willing to seriously bring hurt on that other person to get what I want. Right? That's a war. When we're legit willing to bring even murder to get what we want. You might be sitting here and you're like, I've never wanted to kill anybody. Right? This, this doesn't really apply to me. But, but really, have you gotten so mad that you're willing to sting and hurt them just to get what you want? Have you gotten so mad that you're willing to try to just go and take even though it's not yours? Like, I'm going to have this. I don't want to hear from you. This is coming down and it's going to be mine. Have you ever been there? I'm looking out. I'm getting like no, no response at all. Have you ever been there? It's just me. All right, let me just tell you how I struggle with sin, right? No, come on. Have you ever been there? Right? It's real. This is a real answer. James is giving a for real answer. And he's like, just so you know, the battling that you have with your spouse is because you long to have something that you're not getting. It's a satisfaction problem. And, uh, you desire, and yet you do not have, so you murder. Have you ever noticed that James is like seriously aggressive in how he explains things? The tongue, it's set on fire of hell. Right? You desire, but you're not getting, so you murder. Like he's stating the biggest, the strongest, the hugest, the, if you want to call it this, the hyperbolic way of saying it, and he's trying to make his point. He says, you covet and you cannot obtain. Covet, like I want what they have, but I'm not getting it. This thing isn't being made mine, and it's really bothering me. I want it. Have you ever been in a spot where you absolutely want something? and you're longing for it, and you're willing to do whatever it takes to get it, and you cannot obtain it, right? Satisfaction, it's a huge part of the problem. So you fight and you quarrel, there's those words again. So you fight and you quarrel, you have wars and you have words that you bring up to bring a sting. Well, what are these desires that rage inside? So I just wrote down four desires. I'm not saying this is the all-inclusive list, but it's good we at least know that these are out there. Uh, desires. Just so you know, that word literally means craving. It's a desire with a super strong passion attached to it, a craving. And we'll put some words to it. Ready? Number one, uh, the obvious. To have. A desire to have. I want this for me. Maybe you look at a neighbor's house or how a, a, a friend has found a significant other and you're significantly jealous of that. Somebody has um, found a job that they love. Whatever it is, you know the life experiences that are going on and the hurts and the heartaches that come with not having. And you're like, I wish I could have that. And it starts to cause an anger to well up. The first one is to have, right? And the second desire to be understood, to be understood. Have you ever been in a conversation where you're explaining yourself and then they start telling you exactly what you just said, like they're informing you? And you're like, that's what I just said. And they're like, I'm just saying. And you're like, that's what I said. Have you ever been in one of those conversations? Right? The reality is we long to be understood and we would much appreciate the statement that comes down something like, you know, you get done saying it, and they're like, that was amazingly, wonderfully, beautifully intelligent. 
And I firmly agree. Right? Wouldn't it be nice if somebody said that to you every once in a while? Right? And I firmly agree with you. I'm with you. I understand. Right? And, and we long to be able to hear that. In fact, what we usually go after is a little bit more on the bicker side. Like I say, you say, I say, you say. At the end, we're like, it seems like we're saying the same thing. And then you're like, okay, then I guess we agree. Then we move to the next thing. I say, you say, I say, you say. Seems like we agree, right? We kind of live life that way. Be careful, man. Just know this. As much as you want to be understood, so do they, <laughs> right? Honestly, the best move you could give in caring for somebody is to be able to listen to their words and understand what they're saying. It's a great gift where you're like, dude, I totally hear what you're saying. I'm with you on that. I understand, right? First one is to have. The second one is to be understood. The third one, to be respected. To be respected, right? And often these all start dovetailing together. I'm not saying there's a large discrepancy between them, but to be respected, to be able to allow fill in the blank, right? To be able to allow you to maybe lead in something or to be able to hear your words in something, to be able to grasp what was meant by and so you're going after it together. Somehow there was a disrespect that came down. And honestly, the largest disrespect comes with the tone of voice. Our tone can so disrespect, right? Like I can be in full agreement and I can say, absolutely, I agree. Or I can say, absolutely, I agree. Now those are two really different messages. Can we agree with that? All right, and just so you know, it's super important that we grasp the difference in being able to explain it without it being offensive. By the way, did you just hear what I did? To explain, there was a little delay, it without being offensive little delay. Do you hear that emphasis? Yeah, don't do that while you're talking to your friends and your family. I found out the hard way that what preaches well does not live in the home well. <laughs> just, just so you know that, all right? And being able to bring words that have emphasis is very helpful sitting here and a little more rude at home. And so being able to understand and speak like Mr. Rogers. I've actually been told, we went and saw that Mr. Rogers movie and I was actually told by my wife, that'd be nice if you talked like Mr. Rogers. It ain't happening, it's not happening. But you know, the, the reality of being able to come up with a tone management, to be able to say, I love you, you matter. It's a huge deal, respect along the way. It's our tone, it's how we emphasize words, it's, uh, Honestly, letting them be able to get out what they're trying to say, to have, to be understood, to be respected, and then the last one, to be loved or cherished. We talked about this just a couple weeks back. It's bringing a warmth into the relationship. It's valuing them to be loved. This isn't just an action. This is actually an attitude around it as you warm up the relationship. And in fact, there was a book that was written, uh, Love and Respect right? And uh, the whole idea behind it was that usually, prototypically, uh, the females are driven towards this cherishing 
and this being loved and guys are driven towards a sense of respect of being heard, not being run over, uh, not being uh, tone kind of rising up, whatever it is. And, and as those two don't match up, it tends to go into a death spiral. Just so you know, as I'm saying these words, I'm already seeing heads going. And people are like, uh-oh, this is going to stir something at home. Stop talking about this, right? And I'm just, I'm moving where I'm talking now so nobody can say, he targeted me, right? Just so you know. And I'm moving around for that purpose. And uh, the bottom line is, we can end up needing to learn a little bit about how to care for the other person. And just so you know, as much as you're living life saying, I have some uh, desires, some cravings that I would love to see satisfied, so do all of those human beings you interact with in a day. And being able to interact with them and say, I understand that there's times where uh, to have might drive them or to be understood might drive them or to be respected might be driving them or to be cherished. And man, make sure that you're giving into conversations, not just longing to get them to give to you. And all of God's people said, huge deal, right? And uh, so often the fighting and the battling comes because we let those desires just rage and come out. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. He's talking about asking of the Lord. He's talking about praying and bringing it to your God. And being able to say, Lord God, I'm bringing this for real. You matter, Lord. And I long to see your answer in this. And I'm laying this down. You don't have because you don't ask. And there are probably a ton of people where they're like, that's true. I, I never brought that in prayer. I, I haven't brought that at all. But you know there are others who are like, what, are you kidding? I absolutely have been asking. I've been asking the whole time and and so he's like, well, let's just deal with the next phase of people because there's really three groups of people. There's the ones who haven't asked at all. Then there's this group. Um, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Like this is strictly just about you and, and you're making it all selfish right now. And so you're like, okay, God, I'm asking and I'm longing for you to give this to me. Now. I mean now. Now. God, I'm hungering. Can you please fill this need now? And we start praying a lot more bossy, if you will. We're like, God, I really don't want to hear what your thoughts are about life. I, I'm bringing this to you. Just so you know, these aren't the only two prayer types, right? There's, there's not the, I, I forgot to pray. And then the, I just pray selfishly. There's also the, I pray and I long. And God, I'm giving this to you and at times it hurts when you're not answering, but I am on my knees before you. You are my king. That's a very healthy prayer. And so that's where we need to be headed. Don't be praying self-absorbed. Lord God, please give this to me. Lord, will you please make them see that they need to knock this off, right? Lord, will you please, our fill in the blank on that ends up becoming really flat out. We're just trying to control the situation. Prayer does not equal control. And all of Ked's people said. Like it's a huge deal. Lord God, I'm coming to you humbly and I'm depending upon you and I'm hurting you, hurting with you even in the midst of this. Lord, but I long for you to get your way. What do you want done? Man, that's power prayer, okay? He's like, let's make sure that we're not storming in and we're demanding our, our, 
or dissatisfaction starting to try to take control. He says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. That word passion keeps rising up. It's this desire within to make it about self. We are complex beasts. And as we live our daily life, we are all over the map. And Lord, help me to keep my desires in check, to keep my worship engaged with you. And Lord, may I love those around me. Where do fights and quarrels come from? Letting the sea of selfishness wash up into the boat. Lord, may I give this to you. So there was a band um, back in the 60s. They were trying to make it. They were trying to become one of those bands. And they were moving along, actually doing pretty well. And uh, they were being received pretty well. They had a lot of concerts going on. In fact, they got really good at writing songs. In fact, so good, this is a true story, that one of the guys actually ended up falling asleep and in his sleep he dreamed of drums and the guitar riff and actually the melody that could play, be played out on a keyboard. He dreamed it. When he woke up, he remembered it, so he wrote it down. He ended up giving it to one of his partners who in four days wrote the, the lyrics to it and the song really started to go viral. It went pretty big. In fact, it was that band's first break into the United States. As they got that song in here that year in 1965, it took off, man. That song went to number one on the charts. In fact, 40 years later, in a Super Bowl, it was played at the halftime celebrating some of the greatest songs to be played ever. It was voted number two in the top 500 of all rock songs from the 60s to the 2000 era. And... Uh, it was written by the Rolling Stones, and you have a job to do. You're going to fill in the blank. The song's name was, I Don't Get No. And why did it go so big? Because, man, that's what we as human beings are. We're walking around with this great, huge, welling up, passionate desire, and we need to be satisfied. And our catch is, we need to find our satisfaction in our king, not in our control. In our king, not in our control. It's a huge deal. So simple question. How are you doing with managing your satisfaction? How are you doing with your desires and your living of life? And are you able to write the song, I don't get no satisfaction in your sleep because it's so a part of you, right? Or are you able to hand it over to your king? A calm and a peace, a wisdom that is from above relies on your God. Are you handing your desires to your king or are your desires taking control of you? Okay, that's point number one. Point number two, choose friends wisely, knowing that God opposes the proud. Choose friends wisely, knowing that God opposes the proud. Now, remember, James uses pretty rough words, and he punches hard. So here we go. 
You adulterous people. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to say. James is like, I'm just saying, let's be direct. Your worship is supposed to be given to God, but instead you're worshiping yourself or the world. You're running around making it all about you. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Just so you know, this word for friendship here is actually the word phileo. It's the word love. Brotherly love, but honestly, the difference between phileo and agape, those two differences are very subtle. This is probably more to do with love than with friendship if you're looking at how to understand the word. And so when it says, if you have friendship with the world, it's actually saying, if you love the world. If you have this enamored, I love to be alongside of. Remember, the world is built of phrases like, whatever looks good, whatever feels good, whatever shows me off. Right? That's the world. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Right? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He's like, if you're longing for that, if you're partnering with that, well, you've got a problem. It says you've started a relationship up. It's like a marriage relationship with your God, but you're breaking it and you're going off to the world. You're having an affair, you adulterous people. He's like, please, seriously, don't make it all about this enamored nature with the world. Don't see how the world approaches life and try to approach the same way. That's a great idea. I should make it all about me. I am going to go after this and try to dig in and see if I can get satisfied just by doing whatever I can do. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? In fact, that word enmity means hostility. It's quite frankly the opposite of the word phileo or, or friendship love, right? Don't embrace what the world is delivering it ends up placing you dead against your God along the way. It's a hostility. It's an antonym along the way. Bottom line is, he's saying, be careful. Choose wisely whom you worship. And if your worship is of your God, you're sitting in a great spot. If your worship is of the world, if there's a love of the world, it will drag you down. He says, therefore, and when we see the therefore, we say, yeah, what's the therefore, therefore? He says, therefore, based on the fact that we should not be going hostile towards God, based on the fact that our love of the world is a bad plan, everybody say it's a bad plan. It's a terrible plan. He's like, don't go there. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He's like, let me just say, you have a choice, pick a side. Don't kid yourself. Be careful where you're going. Watch what you're doing. Buying into what the world is selling is missing greatly what your God is bringing to the table for you. Come to your God, the one who loves you with all he's got, the one who's protecting and providing for you with all he has, the one who delivers a wisdom that is from above that will so satisfy your soul. Don't miss it. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Your God is going to lavish on you. Don't walk away. 
A simple question, why do we walk away from God? When he is such a giving God, why do we do it? Simple answer, it's not coming fast enough. Satisfaction. Like I want this and it's not getting satisfied, so I'm going to go take it. Lord God, may I truly lean on you in the midst. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Now just so you know, this uh, scripture quote is actually one of the more complicated scripture quotes uh, in James and honestly in, in the Bible. Uh, the way the Greek is posed here and some of the verbs that aren't there so it's just implied means you gotta kinda read between the lines a little bit. And so the ESV says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. And uh, there's really two ways you could understand this. He yearns jealously over the little s spirit, like the human spirit that he's placed in us. And he's placed this human spirit in us and he longs to have relationship with us. And there's this hungering and this banging to be able to bring across a connecting from God Almighty to the little s spirit, our human spirit, and to be able to interact with human beings along the way and uh, to have a worship along the way. The other way to understand it is capital S spirit. Like this is the Holy Spirit. And he's like, hey, if you're saved and I placed the Holy Spirit in you with purpose, let's not miss that. And it could be either one of those, quite frankly. Honestly, I probably bend towards the little s human spirit because it is crying out for a worship statement. He's like, don't go for the world, go for your God. And I'm telling you, I place this human spirit within you so that I can interact with you in a way that you will not believe. It is the most satisfying connection and relationship you could ever have. Come to me. I long to have relationship with you. God Almighty saying to you, you matter. You matter. There's a spirit within you, the boat floating on top of the sea, and I long to partner with along the way. Your God saying to you that he loves you and that he's jealous in the midst as he declares you his, and he's longing for that to come through. It says, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. God lavishes on the giving. He pours it on. He is, thankfully, a God who gives us what we don't deserve. That's what grace is. When he gives us what we don't deserve, we have hope because of him. God giving grace into our relationship. And Lord, as I humbly strive to try to get my life even close to a semblance of worship of you, you just lavish into my life saying, that's it. Keep going like that. Here we go. He's longing for you to be rocked by his presence. Don't miss the privilege of being able to experience your living God daily, regularly. Man, as you wake up taking time to open up the word and get through, maybe it's just one verse, maybe it's a passage, maybe it's a chapter, but as you get through, you're like, Lord God, you are awesome because and you're celebrating him along the way. 
and lift him up, the God who actually gives more grace. It says, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let that settle for a moment. God opposes the proud. So if I walk in the room and I'm like, that's right, you are gifted because I am here. Just so you know, God is now opposing me. Dude, that's a bad moment. Or if I'm sitting there privately thinking, that was like this big boisterous moment. If I'm privately sitting there going, they so need to hear from me. I have their answer. I'm the one who could. I could fix this problem at work. I could help my friend with. I could land a job where. I could. God opposes when we're standing up inside saying, actually, I think I'm pretty awesome. Did you know that? Be careful, man. Make sure you are walking into the room saying, how can I serve? Humble. How can I love you in a way where you can be furthered in your walk with your king? How can I lift up your name before my God so that great things happen in your life? Dude, I'm telling you, that's the one that God chooses to partner with and do amazing things with. May we walk in the room saying, how can I love you? How can I humble myself before my God and watch him work in your life? I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. May God get the glory. Huge deal as we talk about the privilege we have with him. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. I don't think we realize how viciously evil pride is. I don't think we realize how violently contagious pride is. It's nasty, man. In fact, once one person starts acting a little prideful, the other person kind of rises up like, uh uh uh, don't do that to me. And then we start defending ourselves. And all of a sudden, it's pride against pride. And then it's mouth against mouth. And then it's word against word and tone against tone. And oh, look, we're in one of those quarrels or fights, right? That's what James is talking about. I'll just say this. Bottom line, uh, I would say pride is contagious as much as the coronavirus is contagious. Let's just put it right down to brass tacks. I looked it up right before the worship was done to make sure I had the latest numbers. So we have 71 people contagious and having the coronavirus in the United States, 71 at this point. And, uh, of those 71, well over half of those all got it from one cruise. So the message here is, don't go on cruises. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So the reality, there's like over half have it uh, from one cruise. There's 71 in the United States. There are over 86,000 cases in China alone. They have begun to lock down whole cities. The last I heard, there were three cities in Italy that were locked down. You could not go in, you could not go out. Three whole cities. You cannot, if you were in Paris right now, you cannot go in the Louvre, they shut it down. Like it is contagious and they don't know how to stop it. And if it goes the wrong direction, it can take your life. 
That's what James is talking about with this. We've got to start understanding. Man, the bottom line is we talk about pride and it makes the market go up. We talk about the coronavirus and it goes down like 3,500 points, right? The reality is we've got to start seeing pride as deadly and contagious and violent and nasty. It will wreck your life and it'll wreck the life of the one next to you. And all of God's people said, may we walk in the room humble. May God get all the glory. Humble. How are you doing at wearing your mask when it comes to pride? How are you doing at washing your hands when it comes to pride? How are you doing at staying away when it comes to pride? Man, recognize this. Our job is to hang close to God. May we not go hanging close to what is a deadly virus. It is all about our king. And all of God's people said, point number three, start fighting spiritually by submitting to God and then resisting. Start fighting spiritually by submitting to God and then resisting the devil. Notice the first point was stop fighting. And this one is start fighting. See, all too often, we fight one another, but really the battle is with the demonic forces. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Make sure that you fight in the right direction. So here we go, starting in verse seven. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. I'm just telling you, these two verses are probably the strongest, most clear verses on how to go about spiritual warfare. And if you're like, I don't know if I even buy in. I don't know if I'm really buying in that there's some demonic pressure on me and I'm just telling you that makes you that much more vulnerable. Please hear me. There is absolutely demonic whisper coming in that says it should be all about you. What's the matter with them? How dare they? Go after that. You have every right to. Your God's not in this with you. All those whispers that start dragging you down. And our answer in the midst of all spiritual warfare is really summed up in these two verses. Ephesians 6 has a great broader summary, but these two verses give a great two-step. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Get close to your God. Now, for some of you in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and you've experienced a deep, dark pressure. A demonic moment, maybe it's later at night, two or three in the morning, and this press down that comes in that literally makes you feel like, like, please hear me now, if these words have come to your heart, maybe I should just take my own life. I'm just telling you, the suicide word is absolutely couched in demonic pressure. Absolutely. I'm not saying there aren't other things associated with it as well, but I'm telling you, guaranteeing there is a whisper that is dark and heavy. Please hear me. Those are moments for absolute worship. And uh, Man, this heavy presses and forceful positionings, and I'm just telling you, we have experienced it in large measure. We understand. I get it. I'm not talking academically. I'm talking experientially. 
Do not take one more step. Start worshiping your God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. How do I do it? Man, I'm just, it's steps that you have probably heard before and they're not going to shock you, but I'm telling you, absolutely rock solid. Open up the word and start to read. I would recommend reading out loud. Your mind runs way too fast. It's amazing how quick your mind can run. And if you're thinking it while you read it, you can think all these other things too. Start reading out loud. As you read it out loud, I'm not saying that this is what this word means. I'm telling you this is a great way to apply it, okay? The word submit. So you just start reading the scripture out loud. Whatever passage you want, you start bringing it. And you read it out loud and you read it in a celebration to your God. This is who my God is. I mean, look at the passage we've been through right now. My God opposes the proud, but he stands with those who are humble. My God gives grace. That's who my God is. You read through it, you read it out loud, you're celebrating who he is, and then you go to a thank you prayer. This is who you are, God. Thank you for being this God. Go after that. That's huge. To be able to celebrate your God and to raise him up as you read through the word out loud and be able to say, thank you, Lord, for who you are. And then at the end of the thank yous, Lord, please forgive me for whatever needs to go. Whatever sin needs to be done, maybe you've been buying a lie in the moment, maybe there's been some sin you've been steeped in and you know it needs to be done. Whatever it is, it's done now. We cannot say we're submitting to God if we're not confessing our sin and getting it right. And all of God's people said. So it's simple, man, submit to God. Open up the word and be able to get into it. If you've got something memorized and you wanna quote that out loud, so be it but you're quoting the very word of God and you're standing with him and then you thank him and you praise him for what you see of him in this word. Please hear me. The worship starts to create an atmosphere around you that is absolutely God-glorifying and absolutely Satan-horrifying. Know this, man. The worship is where it's at. You get yourself before your God, reading the word, quoting it off, praising your God. And then it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Please note the order. It does not say, start out by resisting the devil. Like, no more of you, man. Like, that's not the plan. The plan is worship first, submit. Submit yourself to God. Get in the word, praise out, confess out. Then it says, turn around and resist the devil. Please hear me on this. Don't, don't talk to. It doesn't say, attack the devil. Resist. He's pushing in some lie. You're not going to hear it. And the best answer to it, how do I resist? It is written. We already saw it from Christ, right? Matthew chapter 4. It is written. How do I resist the devil? Mm -mm. That's not what God says. Here's what Scripture says. Man, if you're in a spot where you don't know what Scripture says about it, talk to a friend that's in an impact group. Talk to your impact group leader. Get a hold of a pastor. Let's talk that through. Because there is an answer in Scripture that re rebuts that, and you stand with that. It is written. This is where I stand. And if you need to be saying it out loud just to keep yourself focused, do that. Like, I'm telling you, this is absolutely essential. And all too often, we start to say, I'm just a little depressed. I'm just a little down. But in fact, what we are is we're being pressed on. Please be careful. Please be wise. There is satanic forces. There are demonic presses. 
And we can simply respond. But here's what it says. It doesn't say, I don't know, man, there's not a lot of hope. Everybody say, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It says absolute guarantee. Submit yourself to God. Resist, and he will flee. Resist, like it is written. So you're like this. Lord God, I'm reading in your word, and I see this here. You oppose the proud. You give grace to the humble. You lavish it on. I'm worshiping you. I celebrate the God who gives grace. That's where I'm at. And I resist the devil. No. Not hearing any lies. This is who my God is. It is written. Quoting it off. A little bit looks like this. Mm. Right? A little bit. Mm. Just so you know, it says, and he will flee. Just so you also know, when you go, mm, he's not running from you and your spindly arms. Right? Because <laughs> you're like, this. And he's like, oh, really scary. Like, not that. It's the God who's standing with you and standing over you that goes, you're out of here. The worship is on. Bring it with all you've got. Do not lose this privilege. Worship your king and watch Satan run. I'm telling you, man, amen. Praise God. We have hope because of him. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Another great way to say, submit yourself. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Bring the worship on. Get close to your king and celebrate him. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, make sure you bring a confession when you come. I'm coming before you, Lord, and you are so right. And Lord, here's some areas where I'm wrong. Please forgive me. And I'm celebrating and worshiping you, the God who has it in hand. He says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. In other words, Lord, may I come before you with the proper perspective. You've got it in hand and I'm giving me to you. You're in charge. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You enter the room humbling yourself and you let God choose in what way and in what manner and in what time that he will exalt. We know that in eternity there is exalting. And at times he even chooses in this world. And it's all up to him. I walk in the room and I humble myself. Down with the fights and quarrels. Down with the battling. Up with the worshiping. Down with the listening to the whisper from the pit of hell and engaging in a human battle, up with celebrating my God, getting close to him, declaring out scripture, taking the stand, and watching Satan flee as my God is glorified by my humble worship. It is all about humility. Everybody say humility. Don't miss it, man. It is all about humility. Even in the spiritual warfare, it is so not about me. It is so about my God. I will declare him out. I will get on my knees. I will lay myself out in confession. God, you've got this. And watch God work. And all of God's people said, amen. Let's pray. 